know Dan. I know Dan listens every time Dan I release on Saturday. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm glad we have a, we have people who are appreciate hearing the sound of our voices in the ether of the podcast me, me, land. Me. Um, yeah, no, I mean that you know, and but we don't do this for the listeners, do we? No, we do I this. Know. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I wish. I hope somebody's listening. Well, I'm doing it. I'm doing it for the royalty checks. When are those coming in, Stephen? Oh man, I, I'm. <laughs> You know, I'm talking with Pie Bean, and you know they're looking over the contracts, and uh, we'll see what we get back. I don't know. Good, I, good, good, good. I'm gonna have to start adding ads to the to yeah. the podcast to, make, to really sure, get some money. Make sure we keep we keep all the likeness rights and the toy rights and all the merchandising rights, just oh, we're like getting George merchandise. Lucas did. I, I want to get yeah, I want to get I want to get definitely like stuffed toys of us made so that you know like you know like the toys that back when in the 90s were the wrestling toys the, the yes. big stuffed animal where you could beat it and it would like argh, argh. Oh, i want to yeah. get that i want to get that of us but like you know for cinema discovery project yeah how do they relate i don't know yeah, but no. i just yeah. really have always wanted a toy of myself in that way where you could beat the shit out of it you know nice. um but you know <laughs> that's not, that sounds like you may have some underlying issues with, uh, with maybe, that. maybe you know, uh, you know, I, you could, I was more, I was more thinking like Funko Pops and oh, things yeah, like well, that. We, we could, we could make Funko Pops of ourselves. I mean, it's a I little, know, little but indulgent, but I mean, it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's cooler if somebody, you know, has a demand for it. it. You I know get, what I mean? I get, I get Robin to do it, maybe. Um, yeah, Robin likes to do that stuff. Um, I've been wanting to get, yeah, been, we've been talking about doing that since Film Club Movie Show. Oh, but uh, yeah, yeah oh. but never got around to doing it, but. I think uh, you know we should just we should just get this started, man. Let's get this episode started. Sounds, sounds like we should roll because we are we're we're heading into weird territory, and we're about to head into just as weird territory. We're yes, talking this about a- uh, this is Cinema Discovery Project episode number nine, spotlight number two. Yes, for the movie Gilda. Ooh. Yes, one title name, kind of like Prince or Sting or ah, whatever else. Seal, 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 Seal. <laughs> McLovin, um, McLovin. That's a that's a great title, great name. Um, and this movie is from 1946, and the reason why we are talking about it is it is a film noir, and we're keeping up with our noir vember theme, where we're just talking about film noir and why we love it so much, and and, and things of that nature. <laughs> And who are we? I, 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 I don't I, know. I don't know. I I, 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 I often struggle with identity uh, <laughs> problems myself. It's a theme in film noirs also uh, sometimes. Uh, I, I'm just trying to get us back around to our names. I'm Stephen Billings. I'm Andrew. I'm Andrew. I'm happy. Yeah. I'm ha- yeah. Are you Andrew? Are you sure? That's a, that's a complicated philosophical question. Yeah, I know. We don't have podcasts long enough to answer that question. <laughs> I have to go talk with my therapist. I'll be right back. But yeah, uh, I'm Stephen Billings. This is Andrew Cabral. We are happy to be here uh, once again. The film noir uh, genre is uh, something we're very passionate about, and in this one, Gilda. This was a first time watching me. How about you? Was have you seen this? This, uh... this was my third time watching it. Ooh, um, so he's gonna I... have this. The, the he's gonna he's gonna know the the lay of the land a lot better than me. Just put it that way. I, I maybe I can. Who knows? We're about to find out. Um, yeah. I this I first. Bought this movie on DVD years ago, and then of course it was re-released from the Criterion Collection on Blu-ray and DVD. Beautiful Criterion Collection. Given a you know a new I believe 2K restoration. This came out uh, two years ago, 2016. Um, yeah. And it's a movie that I've always really really liked. It's a staple of the film noir genre. When you see all kinds of film noir 
you know, best of movie lists, you always see Gilda. You always see Rita Hayworth as one of the best femme fatales, which we talked about in our previous episode. That's very much how over. that movie's advertised, too. Is it's like, oh, yeah. Here, come see Rita Hayworth as the ultimate femme fatale. She's, yeah, <laughs> she is the cover of the. She's on the poster. She's on the cover of the DVD. She's on the cover of the Blu-ray. Um, what's interesting, the cover of the Blu-ray is just a still from the movie. They didn't even do original yeah. cover because because you can't quite capture the iconic nature of Rita Hayworth in any type of artwork form that would really equal what she actually looked oh, like yeah. in real life. And, and the thing too is 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 what's ultimately you know getting into the history, you know, the, the production of this movie. This movie was particularly made for her stardom because right. she was such a big thing at the time. Right. In the 1940s, she was one of the biggest stars around. She yeah. was the number one star at Columbia Pictures. This You have to remember this we're going back to that golden age of Hollywood where we're under the studio system where every studio had their stars, had their crop of stars, kind of like a sports team where yeah, they, they had they them signed under them contract. contracts. Yeah, yeah. Contracts. And they were, they were long contracts, like seven year long contracts where basically they controlled their entire aspect of their careers. They would pick the movies you would be in and they would, you know, pick the directors for these movies and just all kind of stuff like that. You really did, did not have a say of which movie you could uh, do or not do. And this led to a lot of friction between the actors and the studio heads, and especially with Rita Hayworth fighting the then head of Columbia Pictures, Harry Cohn. They had a very contentious relationship. A lot of it, I think, would mostly have to do with Harry Cohn being a super controlling kind of ass of a person. You know what I mean? A douche, and, as we would call it. A douche, as we would call it. And what is interesting <laughs> is if you delve into the history of of like people like Harry Cohn and the other heads of studios and just the studio system in itself, you see a lot of parallels with today when it comes to people wanting to control the lives of actors or actresses, specifically at a young age when they're yeah, trying to make their way up into the movie the movie world. Yeah, and as we've talked about in, in previous episodes, when we talked about like censorship in film, you know, this kind of comes back around again. You know, we're you know we're this is a film from the code era. You know, the movie has to be made in a certain way, um, you know, with a lot of suggestiveness and subtext and and uh, that which is something we'll get into a lot in this film. Right. Uh, because There's... very much for me, as my first experience seeing it, um, it was a little confusing to me. But as I looked into the deeper meanings, it, it there's so much subtext in this movie. And when you learn the subtext, it makes the movie that much better. Right. It does. And a lot of the movies of that era have a lot of that subtext that are very contextual for the time. So sometimes that gets lost in translation if you're viewing it in, you know, 2018. But just a little bit on Rita Hayworth before we really delve into the movie. Also, if you're not familiar with these spotlights, we pretty much just have these little intros here and then we really delve into the plot of the movie kind of so, beat for so beat. Spoilers. So it's spoilers. spoilers all the way. So it is yeah. spoilers. If so, be forewarned about that. But Rita Hayworth, like I said, was a rising star in the late 30s she she was actually someone who was part of the entertainment world from a very young age um her father i believe was a, a dancer and then he ran like a dance uh dancing school and they moved to hollywood uh i believe from new york when she was very young and she was basically in the entertainment business from the time she was a kid all the way up throughout her life and she started off uh just doing dancing in like uh, in like dance clubs and stuff like that her and her dad would perform um what is interesting is that 
you know, she uh, she was too young to legally perform at nightclubs in Los Angeles, so yeah. they had to go down to Mexico to do it. And then Ooh. she, and then she, she, I believe, got her first contract, movie contract, when she was 16 years old with Fox. Well, at the time, just about to turn into 20th Century Fox, which is what we know it as now. And it was a six month contract, and she, I think, had a couple of parts, and and then she she wasn't picked up by by that contract. <clears throat> It wasn't really until um, she got into she was found by someone working at Columbia. She signed her Columbia Columbia uh, Pictures contract that she became a huge star. She had one of her first roles is in a movie that I really love, "Only Angels Have Wings" with Cary Grant and Gene Arthur, I believe. And I and she has a small but very pivotal role in that movie. Coincidentally, that movie is also on the Criterion, the Collection. Criterion Collection. Yeah, just got a, a recent release. And and that movie kind of really started the buzz around her to where she started yeah. doing um she started doing other roles she would do um she would do roles with uh, particularly Fred Astaire in musicals where she was a great pair for him people typically uh, associate Fred Astaire with Ginger Rogers but Rita Hayworth and Fred Astaire did a couple of movies together and they're fantastic um, she was in the movie Cover Girl which was in Technicolor and where we got where people got to really see her her famous red hair for the first time. What is interesting is that she's well remembered as being one of the most iconic redheads in Hollywood history, and her original hair color wasn't red. Yeah, yeah. This was something that was fabricated by Harry Cohn. Harry Cohn, um, once she was under contract, he kind of took her and remade her in a more Hollywood-esque uh, vision. He it's had, a pro, I mean, these these people, these actors are products. They become you yeah, know, very much, and pro, even today, of course. Yeah. Their products to sell to the public. Yeah. So she, like she, um, he had like her hairline was like reshaping. Uh, her hair was dyed red. Her eyebrows were redone. They changed her name. Her, I believe, her original name was Rita Cancino, and they changed it to Rita Hayworth, which is the maiden name of her mother. Um, and her star was really on the rise. She was, like I said, the biggest star of the forties. Unfortunately, as time went on. Um, she ran into a lot of personal struggles in her personal life. She got married, uh, I believe, five times. She was divorced five times. And a lot of those personal relationships were really bad. They were. She was married to really just terrible men who treated her very poorly, including them, Orson, Orson Welles. Welles. <laughs> and which, and I guess in hindsight, may have not been the worst of all of the men. But I mean, yeah. still, a bad guy is a bad guy to a certain extent. And they were married from 1943 to 1947. They famously did the movie together, Lady from Shanghai, where Orson Welles did the most kind of heinous thing at the time, where he cut off, he cut her hair down and dyed it platinum blonde, oh. which of course pissed off Harry Cohn so much <laughs> because that, <laughs> that that kills the, the you know the image he was trying to, to yeah, sell yeah. and create at the time. Oh and yeah, we, had, we 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 yeah, talked we about in on. previous episode about how. You know, uh, Orson Welles had to fight the studio all the time to make his movies, and and uh, th you know that was just a jab right there uh, for right. him. <laughs> yeah. That was just a jab. He had a, it, there's interviews where he talks about Harry Cohn and and all kind of stuff like that. You can look up on YouTube that he does with Dick Cavett in the '70s. Very interesting stuff, and he talks about his relationship with Rita Hayworth. Unfortunately, Rita Hayworth would. Um, pass away at the age of 68 and i believe 1980 she was diagnosed with dementia and she of course um died as a result of that um uh, in in the year in, trying to 
I can't remember the year in which he died, but it was in the 1980s, I believe. Still really, really young. At 68, we think 68 is an old age. It's not really. She died in 1987. Coincidentally, the uh, the year I was born. There you go. Oh wow. That's that's a very interesting kind of tidbit there. But Stephen, if you don't, if you have anything to add before we get into the movie, uh, you know, no, I'm I'm ready to uh, get on this discovery, this yeah. road of discovery, which Let's is what we do here at the Cinema discovery. discovery Project. <laughs> it's just, I, this is one. This is completely irrelevant to this movie, but it's just kind of a personal trivia thing for me. I have an aunt named Rita, and I also have an aunt named Gilda, but it's spelled like Gilda. So it's an interesting oh, okay. connection to this uh, well, movie for me. You know what? Now that you bring it up, before we get started, uh, you know another very important aspect of this uh, behind the scenes is is the producer. The main producer on this mm. film is a female. Um, yes. You know her name is. Uh, Virginia Von Up, and uh, you know she, you know, looking into the special features, they talk about how, you know, they very, this like I said, this is very very much made for Rita Hayworth, and being that a female was there to closely supervise it, I think was it made it just it was a good justice for for her character in the movie, right? That she's not very she's not drawn the same way as a man would draw her, which is a lot of these femme fatales you know, end up being kind of just the bane of a man's existence in the movie. Right. And in this movie, there's more of an arc. So yeah, there's yeah. a, there's a complexity to her character and a complexity to her situation that I think we're going to get into. But yeah. the film is also directed by Charles Vidor. Charles yeah. Vidor, uh, this is probably his most famous film that he directed. Um, he also directed the film Cover Girl, which also starred Rita Hayworth, which I mentioned. But he did that what, a few what, years later. Which he had a very a few uh, years you know, earlier. I mean, he yeah, he had a very heavy contention against uh, Harry Cohen. Also, they actually, <laughs> I think he actually sued him at one point, if I read correctly, um, because like they got in some big argument and, um, you know, basically want to get out of his contract. I think. Yeah, but um, I, what is interesting is Rita Hayworth also sued Columbia to get out of her contract <laughs> years later as well. There was a whole big case where the where actors sued the studios to to get out of their contract, which was kind of signaling the end, not the end, but like the lesser control of the studio system over, over their properties. Um, So let's get into it right away. Uh, The setting here is Buenos Aires, Argentina. So we have this exotic location. Interesting. We don't get to see any of uh, the scenery of Buenos Aires, Argentina. (laughs) Like, like most film noirs, we're set indoors or, and if we're outside, we're outside at night. You know what I mean? The darkness and the night. It feels very much like it compares to something like Casablanca where you're, you know, it's during wartime or near the end of wartime and it's always in, in a smoky bar. And in this case, it's inside of a, like a, a club. Yeah, it's like a club slash illegal gambling casino. Gambling, yeah. And and the film starts off right away. We meet um, our I wouldn't say protagonist. Our one <laughs> yeah. of our main one of our main actors in played by Glenn Ford in Johnny Farrell, and he is a gambler. He's kind of a hustler. He's playing some type of gambling game. I don't know if it's craps dice. or something. Some dice. kind of dice. Some kind of dice where he likes to supply his own dice to these games. So he he has this way of cheating the gambling games in order to, you know, make out on top. He's very clever, very clever. He's very clever. So he's there and he wins. He wins some money. And, of course, he he makes his exit to some type of back alley 
where he is, of course, accosted by some type of burglar who wants his money. Because, of course, yes. we all count our money in, op in the open public in a back alley late at night in Buenos Aires. Argentina. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, he's he's obviously new to this place. He doesn't know where, where he's at. He didn't understand, you know, that he can't. You, I mean, that, that, that should just be a rule in general. And don't count your money out in the open like that. He's he's trying to be sneaky, but he's in an alley, so in a place he doesn't know. So it's kind of dumb. But uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. So while he is, so while I believe the guy uh, has a gun to him, I believe. Yes. Yes. He is then saved by. Balan Munson, who is really well uh, portrayed by actor George McCready, and basically this guy Munson tells him uh, that there's the there's a high class casino across town that I would suggest that I'm mentioning to you. I wouldn't suggest you go there and try out your tricks because you're probably gonna get caught. <laughs> and yeah, of course I mean, he, he can't yeah, help like, himself. Yeah, he can't help himself. But you know, like this guy, like I mean. What do you... I think I think he obviously wanted him to come there. I, I think he was. It wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, you, you'll find out later that that there's. I think he just has alternative reasons. And as we get into the subtext of the movie, we'll 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 get into that. But before before that part, you know, he he saves him with this this kind of cane that also is doubled for like a uh, you know a knife. It has a knife on the end of it, a retractable knife. Right. It has a retractable knife at the end of it, which is you know a dangerous weapon something of course something yeah. uh interesting to have but like we said it's very symbolic and it's brought yes. up a numerous amount of times and i like to point out that right away uh, in the film you can tell that the dialogue is is interesting it's interesting yeah. because it's it's done in a, in a kind of not a rapid rapid pace but there's some bite to this dialogue there's a lot of oomph in this dialogue you see it throughout the movie and i really really picked up on that right away and a lot of the dialogue also has subtext within it as well mm -hmm. we'll get into that so he so he goes of course to this casino where he's told not to go and he tries some of his old tricks they don't have dice games there but he tries i, I believe he's playing it's blackjack it's, yeah, it's, it's blackjack or something and every time before the dealer goes to deal he says he wants to cut the, cut the deck which is something that a player can ask for any time and the dealer has to let him do it. But he's cutting the deck in a certain way where he's winning every single time. Yeah. So obviously he's rigging it. And of yeah. course, the pit bosses working there know that he's doing it. So they decide to, so they grab him and say, hey, you know, the boss wants to see you. You know what I mean? And of course he's like, you know, he kind of shrugs it off and then they're like, no, he really wants to see you. So yeah. he goes in, and of course, the boss and the owner and the runner of that casino is the guy who just saved him in that alley, Munson. Munson. Balin Munson, and he and they and they talk about you know you know I should I should have you arrested and all this kind of stuff, and and basically Farrell convinces him to hire him. Well, what's interesting, back to what I was saying before, it's like he obviously wanted this guy to show up here. I mean, he 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 catches him cheating, and then instead of kind of reprimanding him, like for, like really re like you know what they do in a lot of gangster type movies where they either kill the dude or you know beat him up a lot, you know they don't really do that. He just says, "I kind of feel like since I saved your life, uh, I, I can g I'm going to give you this one. I have like kind of like an ownership." And I feel responsible. I don't want, you know, I'm going to give you this warning. And that kind of plays into, I think, the subtext of the movie where this character, this Munson character, 
feels he needs this power over people. Oh um, yeah. And, it, and in the, this the, case, he he feels that he's going to hold this power over him and say, "I'm I, I got your life in my hands. I'm not going to hurt you this time." But he's he's giving. Uh, Johnny this chance to prove himself and in the, in this case he calls in his his uh you know you know bouncers or whatever and then he be- he beats up one of them in front of him is like hey I I can do better than this guy you know yeah because he hit because he um because he hit him while why you know why his back why while his back was turned or his hands were behind his back or whatever so he brings him in kind of a show of force or show of masculinity masculinity saying you know hey you know pretty easy to beat up a guy when when his back's turned to you, or when his hands are behind his back, but you know, I'm gonna knock you out right now, and he does. And there's a great, there's a scene or before he gets caught, before this, where he's in the bathroom, uh, and the bathroom attendant is a character in this movie as well. They call him Uncle Pio, which is which is very interesting, and <laughs> one of the funny, he's one of the funnier characters in this movie, but he's also kind of like a voice of reason and kind of a wisecracking guy. And and Johnny Farrell goes to tip him. And then, and then he and he calls it. Then he calls Johnny Farrell Mister Peasant because he tips yeah. him like I don't know, like like, like coin nothing. or whatever, like, uh, probably like not, a penny. Like a penny. <laughs> Who knows? <Yeah. laughs> and so and that, that's really funny because that guy has some great lines throughout this movie. And what happens is we get a kind of you know a scene change to where now Johnny Farrell is running the casino. He's basically the manager. You know, maybe not second in command, but he's the manager. And 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 um and this is when Munson says that he's going away on business and he wants Johnny to run to run the the place by himself. Yeah. He takes him up to his office to to show him the safe that's behind this painting of himself. Very a very vain looking, very stoic looking painting. And of course, behind it is all of as his kind of. Um, necessary papers that he has papers that will come into play later on in the movie that's why i'm not giving away what they are but they're 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 important things that if anything should happen to him these are where they all are here's the combination of of it as well and and then we get another scene change to when uh munson returns basically munson munson returns and johnny is at the club and some guy comes and says hey you know uh, Mr. Munson's back. He wants you to go see him at his house right away. And Johnny goes, okay. So then Johnny goes over to his house. And this is when we get our introduction to the Gilda character for the first time. Yeah. Basically, and, 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 and yeah. you know, he, the first thing he says to him is, hey, I want you to meet my wife. Which, you know, if you learn the subtext of the movie, and, and do you want to go ahead and kind of get into some of the, like, sexual subtext of this movie? Um being that it's kind of important to the overall triangle of the relationship. Yeah, because when yeah, because right before we have the scene change over here is when they have a drink or a toast together with yeah, they say a toast between three friends. It's between Johnny Farrell, Munson, and Munson's cane. Those yeah, yeah, are the yeah, three yeah. friends. And is that, is that is, is am I on the track with the sexual subtexture? Wanted to yeah. go into yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and in. To, to not be subtextual ourselves, uh, there's very much a homoerotic uh, nature to this movie. There's, there's, uh, you know, and but they, like, of course, like we said at the time, because of the code, they could not come out and say anything. No. So very much this movie has um, uh, homosexual o- overtones and or undertones and and mixed with, you know, between between the Munson and the Johnny character, 
and then, of course, now with this scene going in, Rita Hayworth now throws a wrench in there. Yeah, because it's, it's it, like I, we're not doing justice in describing their dynamic yeah. between one another. It's very much in that in that flirting way. You know what it I mean? is. And, and it's, it's hard flirtatious. to describe. Like I said, the first time I saw it, I didn't get it. But then when yeah. I looked into it more, it made so much more sense to me. And and I think that, you know, maybe if you hear this or watch the special features, you'll, you know, it'll be a better experience for you the first time. Right. It will. Um, so we are introduced to Gilda in one of the most iconic ways yes. ever. Basically, um, he says, I got, I, you know, I went away and I got married very, very quickly. Didn't plan on it. It just kind of happened. So they go up and she's in her, I presume, bedroom, washroom, whatever. And he says, I always quote this line. He goes, Gilda, are you decent? And then she goes, me. And then we see Rita Hayworth enter the frame. You know, she, the, the frame the is bottom. there. And then she, yeah. From the bottom. And she flips her hair back, looks towards the camera and says, me. And with a big smile on her face. And it's one of the most iconic entrances for, uh, you know, a, a character in, in movies at that time. And it's so simple and so brilliant. And it accentuates one of, I would say, Gilda's main, you know, physical features is her hair. Her hair yeah. is amazing in this movie. And in, in just the, in the detail and just the painstaking ways in which they had to make that hair look so perfect in every scene yeah. to make it look so iconic uh, for her image is, is fascinating to me. Um, yeah, and during course, one of the special features, yeah. Boz Lerman talks about how how much you know this at the time was kind of an an expensive production, and a lot of that was just trying to you know doing extra takes to make sure the hair was right. You know, that's kind yeah. of an art apparently for directors is shooting to make sure that hair is right. You know, and and it goes the way you want it when it, when there's actions done and yeah, know, and there and there yeah. are some like gorgeous. Uh, clothing that Rita Hayworth wears in this movie. Very shiny, very bright, very iconic-looking clothing that she wears. Um, they tend to sparkle a lot. I noticed that. They really sparkle yeah. in this black and black and white frame. And in this scene in particular, uh, you know, it is, it is you know, to, to, to show how, to reference how iconic it is, it does show up in uh, another movie, uh, Shawshank Redemption, as, you know, in, in a scene where Red's watching a movie with other prisoners, um, you know, he, and then he tells uh, Andy Dufresne, wait a second, this is his favorite part. And it shows that scene um, where Rita Hayworth flips up in the frame. Everybody goes crazy. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, it's 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 great. Yeah. Rita Hayworth was like the number one pinup requested by uh, military uh, soldiers in World War II. It was her yeah. and Betty Grable were number one and number two. Uh, people had, you know, uh, pictures of her up in, you know, whether it be in the military or whether it be here on the home front, she was that iconic of an image. I mean, there was one, this is a kind of an aside, I don't want to go off too too crazy. Yeah, I, well, I have you know, another aside after you, so yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, oh, we're, going, we're going off off track. Oh, we it's keep it's together. not too aside. Yeah. Not too aside, but I would say, um, when they were testing an atomic bomb around oh, the same you're, time. Oh, you're saying what I was going to say, never mind. You're saying what you are going to say, yeah. <laughs> but they, they were testing an atomic bomb in some type of Pacific Island, and it was the fourth atomic bomb that they that they ever like detonated. Yeah. Uh, they decided to put a picture of Rita Hayworth on on Which the bomb itself. completely pissed her off, of course. Yeah, and, and they put, you know, the name Gilda on it. This idea is that she is, you know, a bombshell. You yes. know what I mean? And, of course, this upset this upset her greatly uh, because, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a flattering gesture, but it's 
not really what you're you also want to putting me on a de- you're putting me on a destruction uh, a, a, a element of destruction like i'm saying yeah. you know like it's no like i don't want to be associated with an atomic bomb sorry i know it, it's really <laughs> kind of crazy um some people thought it was a, a publicity stunt by harry Cohn at the time uh she was married to orson wells and orson wells said once said in an interview that she was just hysterically upset about it he had to convince her that no it was just something that somebody did harry Cohn wasn't responsible for it or something like that and it's just a very interesting kind of contextualizing the the uh the iconic figure of rita hayworth coincidentally um she was not the persona that she portrayed on screen or she was not the persona that was portrayed for her by these movies or by harry Cohn. she was actually a rather rather private shy person she wasn't this sex sexual figure that these films made her out to be and getting i guess we can section segue back to this movie um what in this scene what you can see on the face of johnny farrell once he sees her his his complexion changes completely to yeah. a a recognize like i recognize this person and i don't like this person that type of look <laughs> that type of realization like oh you that that look yeah and she has that similar similar look on her face as well yeah and you can also say of course you know with that you know if you add in the this the this you know the fact that there isn't a relationship between him and munson that you know that this that's also a reason to be upset too you know if he had some sort of you know relationship or the possibility of a relationship with this man that now that she's here it messes it up <laughs> there, there were, yeah there was also talk with them earlier in the film that he uh munson asked him uh do you have you know are you involved with someone and he's like good because money and ga- uh, women and women, gambling don't yeah. mix and munson literally just portrayed that exact thing he said yeah, by going yeah. out and getting married and and johnny confronts him afterward uh, uh confronts him about it right afterward right after this meeting because there's there's just this this immediate and antagonistic behavior between both Johnny Farrell and Gilda right away, and yeah. and early and they're they're really trying to keep it under wraps in that specific sequence, and they try to as the film goes on as well, um, and it, it's it's really apparent right from the beginning that these two have history together. Yeah. So now they you know don't they go to the club I think and right. Yeah, this is when his, she, yeah, because yeah, he's having like uh, an unveiling, if you will, like yeah. like showing her off for the first time, basically as this, yeah, yeah as his wife, basically as you know, uh, you know, as this a trophy know, look at my new look at my new trophy, yeah. look at my new prop, you know what I mean, and and of course Johnny's there, and then they're sitting at this table, and Munson goes off and does something I can't remember what he does, and of course you know. They have this back and they're, they're they're like you know you can't. They have this back and forth, this antagonistic talk with one another, and of course a man uh, wants to come and you know ask her to dance ask her, her to dance. Yeah. Dance, she's you know this gorgeous woman, this dance club. Maybe she wants to dance. Who knows? <laughs> uh, so he decides to to go to go and ask her to dance, and of course she is. We begin to learn that she's extremely flirtatious in in yes. in, in the way she she. Um, talks with uh, men the way she acts with other men is she very much knows how she knows what they want she knows exactly how to manipulate them and play with them t- to the way she wants and she knows how much that it pisses off johnny right away 
You know, yeah, I mean, I mean she sees that right away. Into, to the that femme fatale aspect. That this is very much the the side of the character that plays into that and plays into the film noir, and and she just knows what what will push their buttons and is trying to elicit these reactions. Uh, you know, to to learn more things about these characters, to, to these men, to see where her where she's, you know, w- w- not only to control them, but to, um, you know, to 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 learn more about how Johnny feels, I guess, where he's at. Right, right, and and he of course confronts her. Uh, you no, know, Muncy um, comes back to the table and asks where, you know, where is Gilda, and then Johnny says she's off dancing, and Muncy goes, "You shouldn't have let her do that." And I'm like, "I, I wasn't gonna stop," and he says, "I wasn't gonna stop her." Um, and he's like, and then, and Munson says, go, go get her for me. And, and he, he kind of hesitates and, and Munson says, you know, it wouldn't look right for a husband to go get, uh, his wife off the dance floor. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't look proper, I guess, or whatever. So of course he has to go and he has to go and get her and bring her back. And he says, you know, you can't act like that towards men down here. And this is when we really begin to, at least in my mind, um, what are Johnny's motivations uh, in the coming sequences? Is he trying to protect Munson? Is he trying to protect Gilda, or or is there another motive to it? And, and I, right I, away, I think, it's interesting. Yeah, I I, th- I think at the beginning, it's more of a protection of Munson than anything, because I think he just wants to be away from. I mean, there's a reason he was there. Like, there's a reason he came to this foreign land to maybe escape that relationship that he had maybe or something, you know, probably other aspects too. But he, I think at first it is about, you know, him knowing about um, her character and trying to protect him because he's very loyal to him. But now that this is happening, he, he's a little bit upset and he's, he's just trying to figure everything out um, and do the best he can. Right. Um, and, 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 and one thing we do have to mention is before they went to the nightclub, uh, Johnny, I believe snuck back into her room to confront her about um, their past their their past relationship together, and what and what we see as viewers is you know one the confirmation that they did have a past relationship it obviously didn't end well, um, and they both have this love hate for one another or yeah they they keep saying that how much they hate each other but the hate is kind of disguised as love you know what yeah, I mean and, it, it, and this movie you know very much at this core the themes of this movie are about you know that line between love and hate, and and the and self destructive relationships. I mean, that, yeah, that's, Mu- yeah, Munson himself brings that up. He yeah. brings up the idea of you know hate can be an interesting thing because the hate and love are both uh, extreme emotions, yeah. and sometimes they can be confused for one another. Um, it's a great scene with um, Munson and Gilda when they're uh, they're sitting on the bed together. And it's a great just use of cinematography of shadow and stuff like that. Yeah, I think um, that's this. I think that's the scene that comes very shortly after that. I want to say we it's just, the scene yeah. after this one. I couldn't yeah. quite place it in my mind, but I think it's the scene after this one where I believe Munson is not a dumb guy. He's a smart guy. He can pick up on things. He can tell that that there's definitely something between uh, Johnny and Gilda. And yeah. this is when I believe he confronts her about it, and, and and Gilda pretty much says that she hates him. I think she kind of comes clean in that scene, where she yeah. where she where she tells him that they had a past thing, but they you know they hate each other now, and that's when he has that whole speech about hate and love and things like that. What is interesting though is that it's after this sequence where Munson asks 
Johnny to look after Gilda, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah. and and basically, you know, just watch her and one and things like that. And this is where this is when Gilda starts playing this game. This game of where she's going to go out with um, you know, random men basically and then show up at all hours of the night or or in the morning and stuff like that and Johnny's you know struggling to try to keep this from Munson because it goes back to what I was saying before like trying to protect Munson because at this point they they're still friends you know very close friends as we alluded to I mean I mean it's part of his livelihood down there I mean they're they're running this club I mean it's you know and like I said the subtext that, that there's kind of a relationship there it's more than it seems so i mean he is doing his best to adhere to his loyalty to his friend right Um, and and what is interesting there's that's part of it as well but also gilda is doing it to piss off johnny to make him to 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 make him mad and in a way johnny's building up all of this you know increased hatred increased spite towards Gilda for what she's doing not only to you know Munson but also to him as well yeah and and would you say that that you know you know as we as that line says there's this there's this you know very close line between love and hate that you know she's actually not only you know she wants to make him mad but also kind of wants to bring him closer you know in a way you know wants to wants to get back with him you know they both do maybe but oh yeah yeah. It's obvious how much you know this hate is actually love. I think it's a lot really more. Hate. I think it's a lot more clear from Gilda's point of view, like what she's doing. Him, it's a little bit more muddy because of his relationship with uh, Munson. But I mean, yeah, I mean it's 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 a very complicated situation. <laughs> yes, yes, it is, and it only gets more complicated as we learn more about Munson. Yeah, uh, because what <laughs> shocker here, Stephen. What? Apparently Munson, his one gambling is apparently illegal in Argentina. So oh, is he, it? Okay. So there is some. There is a guy who comes into the who comes into the the gambling hall uh, every every so often, and he's at the roulette table, and he always puts in his bid late, and he always bets on two black, I believe, and of course two black always comes up every time he bets, and in a way Johnny picks up that. That th- oh so you're paying someone off? Who are you? Are you? He's basically paying off someone for some reason. And yeah. what we end up learning is that it's not actually, you know, a government official, which is initially what uh, Johnny believes it to be, or what Munson tells him it to be, in order for him to keep his casino open. But it's actually something to do with with something I don't think many people know about, and that is tungsten. The element mm-hmm. of tungsten, and this opens up this idea that Munson is part of a cartel. Yeah. He's part of this worldwide cartel that is directly connected to uh, Germany and the Germans. Um, this is revealed to us later on in the movie, but this is the part where where things get interesting. Because we're seeing more of the Munson backstory, more of what he's into, and basically this whole this whole tungsten thing leads to a connection with Germany, which leads to these German guys wanting to come in to confront Munson because Munson stops with these stops giving this guy who comes in the payments essentially. 
Yeah. And and he, and they decide that they're going to confront him about this. And us as viewers are not quite sure what's really going on here. This is something that's revealed to us throughout the rest of the movie. But these two German guys uh, come into the club and Munson's not there. He's at home. And Johnny tells them that uh, Johnny calls up Munson and says, these two German guys, these two guys are here. They want to see you. And he says, OK, tell them to come later on. I forget what it's, I don't know if it's an hour or two hours or whatever, but I need you to come over now. You know what I mean? And basically he, they, they have, I can't remember the actual conversation they have, but it's about, it's about the cartel. It's about his dealing, his business dealings with these German people. And these German, these German business people kind of want to take control back over this cartel yeah. that they couldn't control during the war because of, you know, politics and international law and all that kind of stuff. So basically, they're going to come after, you know, he's worried they're going to come after him. And so there's this big, there's this big party. I can't remember if it's a holiday or if it's something like that. Was this big thing at the club. And what happens is during this big celebration, uh, where everybody's wearing masks and all kind of stuff like that. There's one. There's a scene there between Johnny Farrell and Gilda where they're both wearing masks. She's dressed up in type, some type of Zorro type outfit or whatever, and and she's really leaning into him heavily romantically. You yeah. know what I mean? While they're dancing, while they're slow dancing on the floor, and he is still extremely resistant. He's kind of like a stone wall throughout most of this movie to to her advances. And she's really trying to, you know, get to him. And and what happens is one of the German guys that was supposed to meet Munson is dead. And he's dead at that party. So people are freaking out. There's a dead guy or whatever. And basically, I believe this was, wasn't this also the part? Or maybe it happened afterward. I can't quite get these things in, in order for me. Where that guy comes back and starts shooting at Munson. You remember that? Yeah, Where yeah, he tries so. to kill yeah, him. Yeah. I think that maybe after this, and but ulti- ultimately this leads to ultimately Munson this on the, leads being to a, on the we're run. getting to a point. We're meandering, but we're getting to a point where Johnny's got to take Gilda and take her take her to someplace safe, and and that place being and that place being at uh, back to the back home, and they have this romantic moment where they embrace, you know, they kiss essentially, yeah. and Munson walks in and sees them. And then he runs out, gets in a car, drives away. Johnny Farrell goes after him. Munson goes to this airfield or this place where an airplane's taken off. And they get, he and the police, um, Farrell and the police get there just in time to see him take off. And the police officer who Johnny Farrell's been talking to this whole time, who just hangs around the club, he doesn't buy the drinks, he doesn't gamble, he's just hanging around. Um, he's obviously some type of snoop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, he's obviously yeah. a narc. Obviously, he's Jeffrey Wright from Casino Royale. <laughs> yeah, he's just a narc, and and the, the guy he goes like uh, that. He's like, I don't think he's gonna make it all the way to Africa. And and then yeah. and Father Johnny Farrell goes, I don't think he plans on getting there. And what we see in the distance is the plane crashes Crashing. in the water and explodes. Yeah. And then and what? So, and, so and, ultimately, but, you assume that he committed suicide. You committed that. You could assume that he committed suicide be, because to to because of you know. The, the business dealings or you know losing guilt or whatever mixed with, yeah yeah 
And but what we see is seen literally right after this, which kind of buries the whole mystery of it, which I kind of wish maybe wasn't. I wish in they the wouldn't movie. have shown it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I wish wasn't really where he's apparently he jumped out of the plane before before it crash landed and some boat picks him up and he's like, yeah, yeah I've got like business to do, but I'm going to come back later for like to for whatever reason. Um, so what happens is people assume he's dead and the the club and all the money and I guess the estate, if you will, whatever, is left to Gilda, but Johnny is the executor. Basically, he is to run things and, and stuff like that. And he's going to uh, continue running the cartel as is. He actually gets all the business dudes in the, in the office there yeah. and says, yep, we're going to run it the same way it's always been going. Nothing's going to change. Everything runs through through me now that Munson's gone. And then one dude gets up and is like, you know, we should make some changes. And blah, blah, blah. of course, he shuts that down right away. <laughs> you can see he's you can see as this movie goes along that he's um, he's going on a power trip right now. <laughs> he's going on well, a yeah, power and, trip. And it still sh- once again shows his loyalty to Munson, you know, sticking yes. to what he taught him, you know. And he's got all of the paperwork, which shows all of the deals, shows all of the businesses that are in on this cartel, shows all of the names and locations and all those all those details. So he holds all the cards when it yeah. comes to, you know, having power and control over all of these people. Once again, that idea of control is is put into play. Now it's just shifted from Munson down to Johnny Farrell and his yeah. biggest control uh, or power trip we're about to see is pertaining to Gilda. After Munson, of course, they believe he's dead. He is free now to marry Gilda, which he does. And she believes that he is marrying her because he loves her and they're going to be, they can finally be together and be happy. And he is doing it out of spite just to basically psychologically torture her for yeah. not the things that she did in the past to him whether it was their previous relationship or the stuff she made, she was doing while she was married to Munson or just getting married to Munson at all, which yeah. is something that he confronts her about as well. Like where after, after they get reunited early on in the movie, he's like, you know, you just married him for the money, right? Like you don't really love him and all yeah, this I was kind gonna, of stuff. I was going to say th- this particular, you know, situation really plays into this idea that probably their issues before, you know, that were, the prequel to this movie probably had to do with their their status. They're you know they probably weren't very rich. They probably were very poor, and they they grew to hate each other over them probably differences. And right. now that their status has changed and they have all this money and they own this club, now they are together. You know, and for her that's and then and, you know for her that's probably what really really is a I think for at least for the for her character it's kind of a symbolism of how sometimes we marry people or get into relationships for the wrong reasons. Yes. Um, yeah. So what is very interesting is, as you bring up, as we've talked about before getting into the movie is that coincidentally Rita Hayworth would get into relationships with, you know, men who would treat her badly. And this movie is definitely a mirror of that. Johnny yeah. basically keeps her prisoner in this, in this house that he, that he uh, that they now live in, and she's not allowed to pretty much do anything. Um, she can't go to the club. She can't do anything. She's a prisoner, and it, and it's psychologically torturous for her because she has no freedom. She yeah. has got nothing. Um, you know, he 
he also uh, has a guy to follow her all the time that's always involved with it. She tries to break out of of this prison by uh, going to clubs, going out with other men. You know, she finally breaks down and tries to break out, and he has one of the goons, one of the, the henchmen, follow her, and the guy just, you know, before they can get in a, a taxi cab together, you know, he grabs the guy, grabs closes the, the door, yeah. she's on her way. You know, I mean, there are other moments where, like, she narrates, she says, like, you know, I'd be at dinner with the guy, and the waiter would come over and say, hey, there's a phone call for you, there's a phone call for this guy, and he would never come back. Lo and behold... You know the henchmen are beating him up, beating him up in the alley outside. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, we we kind of we missed it earlier, but there's a scene where before that, you know, that this is before the marriage and before Munson's gone, where he she goes out with a guy and Johnny confronts them and he basically knocks the dude out, knocks the dude yeah. down, you know, right in front of her, a show of power. And I'm sure for her, you know, even though she's trying to defy him, she probably found it very romantic in a way you know like well you know, that he, i mean he's fighting I, for, he thinks she, yeah. she thinks that he's fighting for her when in actuality he's just being loyal to munson right it, yet again it, it's that it's a love it's it's a very going back to kind of that love triangle if you will yeah it's very very interesting and then she and going along in the plot now she actually actually escapes she runs away yeah and she runs, I can't remember, I, I don't know if she goes back to New York. I think she may go back to New York, where she's from, or something like that, where she gets out of Argentina. And then she's apparently seeing some some, some guy, and then the guy's like, you know, we should go, you should go back to Argentina, we should go back to Argentina, or whatever, you know, to get an annulment. She want, yeah, because they want to like get married or whatever to get an annulment. And they go back to Argentina, they go back to the, the grand ho this grand hotel, and she walks into the hotel room, and guess who's sitting right there? Yep. Johnny Farrell. In the dark. In the dark. <laughs> I think he's smoking a cigar or having a drink, doing mm-hmm. something. Very, there's your very film noir moment. <laughs> very film noir moment. And lo and behold, the guy that she was seeing was just a plant by Johnny Farrell. Ah, of course. <laughs> and that is a long-distance game just to show the, the, the means or just to show the lengths in which he will go to to keep Gilda. Yeah, to, it's yeah, to really keep her maniacal. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of insane. It's really yeah, oh, crazy. Yeah. You know, you know, you know if, if it was up to me and they were going to make a remake of this movie, you know who should do it? Paul Thomas Anderson. Cuz it makes me think of the recent film Phantom Thread. You know that relationship yeah. in that movie, you know. It, it, the, you know the, 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 the control, control that 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 uh that um Daniel Day-Lewis's character has over his, you know his wife in that movie. Um, right, kind of, but what is interesting is, I mean, that's a, that's a whole other dynamic. I'm just saying, like, sure. the way their dynamic is is kind of compl- completely different, but sometimes, but sometimes similar to the Gilda yeah. and Johnny Farrell dynamic. You know, what I mean, there's there's a power struggle in that movie. Yeah, but in 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 Gilda, you can tell the power is at shifts what well, tells you about the time that, that this movie yeah. was made yeah so, it t- you, you know. can tell you that the, the power the power shifts in gilda to johnny farrell literally having all of the power he holds this the is, cards most of the time yeah he holds all the cards and basically and in this scene where we get that in this scene she breaks down and just says you know you know let me go let me be free and all this kind of stuff and he just Walks out of the room and leaves her there crying, and it's it's really harsh. It's harsh, yeah. and it's really difficult 
to like Johnny Farrell at all in this movie. And this and that scene really shows, you know, kind of the grayness in the area that 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 film noir really goes to. There are really no protagonists in this movie in the in the strict sense. You know what I mean? In the sense that this person is all good and this person's all bad. Everybody in this movie has murky murkiness to them. Has ulterior moves and has and has, you know, things that they that they want to get done for themselves. It's yeah. really part of that whole film noir thing, which is really why I love the movie so much, is the dynamic between the characters. Their dialogue with one another has so much bite to it at times, and it's really, really fantastic. Yeah, it's a very, I mean, like I said earlier, it's a, this relationship's very complicated because at this point now, you know, now that he's married her, it's just almost hard to understand where, where what's his motivation now. Why is he torturing her? You know, why, you know, why once he married her, did he just continue to not you know actually try to rekindle the relationship or like i mean his his devotion to munson is just crazy so it makes you it makes you wonder you know is does he can he ever really kind of go back to that relationship again or is he or i mean or in in being more literal is is he homosexual is he gay is he do you like women you know like does he even bisexual? like I- I mean, could be bisexual. We're not. It could be bisexual. Sure. I mean, who knows? But I mean, I mean, because of the times, you know, they have to play it, you know, straight. It's very literally. I mean, yeah, it's you're never really clear on it. You're never really clear <laughs> yeah, on it. But you're never really clear on it until we're getting towards the end of the movie, where things do clear themselves out pretty cleanly because that's the way you had to do things back then. Um, yes. Basically, what is happening, other than the guild of the Johnny Farrell thing, is that the police are putting lots and lots of pressure on Johnny Farrell to um, to reveal the members of the cartel, to give up the paperwork that he has in the safe, or else they're going to... The, the reason why they haven't seized the casino yet is because, you know, the uh, Obregon is the police guy who's been floating around through this movie. He basically says, you know, why catch the purse snapper when you can catch, you know, yeah, he, he the wants person. the bigger fish. He, he wants, wants the bigger, bigger fish, fish, basically. Uh, he wants the bigger fish, but they finally seize the club, and and Johnny has no choice but to f- but to tell him um, about the safe and the papers and stuff like that. But Obergon also tells him, you know, also sees the way G- has also been a very observant and sees the way Johnny and Gilda have behaved toward one another. Um, but we but even before this is when we get. Um, the scene that is one of the most iconic in the movie is the scene where she sings uh, the song, um, you know, um, to, to, uh, you put, could put the, the blame, blame on, on me. me. Put the blame on me. I couldn't. For some reason, I've been singing it since I saw the movie last again last night, and now I couldn't remember remember <laughs> for the life of me. What do you know? There's a scene earlier in the film where she's singing the song as well. Put the blame on me. She's singing it um, acoustic style with an acoustic guitar to uncle pio and and also if you pay attention the song pops up a couple of times in the movie uh maybe not the lyrics but just the tune itself um when we first meet gilda way back in the beginning of the movie the song i think is playing on the record player in her room it's very very interesting so it permeates throughout the movie and it's kind of a theme putting the blame on mame you know, and this is the scene where she has, you know, a mental breakdown literally on stage 
uh, at the club where and she's we, singing this song and she's performing, you know, a bit of a strip tease, you know, as far, at least as far as strip tease can go on screen at the time. Yeah. And yeah. it's really iconic with the the outfit she's wearing, but it's the satin gown, um, the the sleeveless satin gown where um, her shoulders are exposed and her arms are exposed and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I was, believe Boz, Boz Lerman mentioned how scandalous that would that that is at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna how, say. Yeah, I was going to say a couple little things about that. You know, that that song in particular, we need to say that Rita Hayworth did not sing that song. No, um, she did. Uh, she I, she did sing the acoustic one early on in the movie, uh, okay. where she was playing on the guitar. That's her actual singing. But unfortunately, her voice would be overdubbed Dubbed. not only in this movie but in other movies, and it was one yeah. of the things that she regretted uh, her in name, her life. The, the person that sung the song was Anita Kurt Ellis. Is her name? She's the right. actual singer of the song. But uh, also with the the dress too, which I, I I looked into, that dress you know later on would get sold, um, you know, and, and ended, ended up auction. selling for like a hundred and sixty one thousand dollars <laughs> from a um, obviously a collector. So yeah, yeah, obviously a collector museum, whatever. Um, but in that scene is like I said is when she has her, her she sings the song, she has that breakdown, and she's just basically coming out to the world and and saying i am at least what what she was trying to do in that moment because she and johnny farrell have a confrontation right after is you know now the world can see me the way you see me as this you know this uh flirtatious not trampy woman but you know promiscuous is the better word also with the 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 sub the, the the content of the song in a way you know she's taking responsibility somewhat she's saying put the put the blame on Mame, you know, like kind of saying, hey, I, I have some part to play in this. Like, r- why th- this is so bad. Right. Well, so, like the song, I always thought the song was kind of like victim blaming. You know what I mean? Sure, like, sure. Put the, if you have to put the blame on somebody, you're going to blame that person because maybe they're not, you know, com- you know, they're not squeaky clean well, or something like she's, that. She's maybe calling out, calling out somebody else, but I think partially... I always assumed I, when, the first time I saw, you know, I've only seen this once, but I thought she was kind of somewhat confessing her, you know, because later at the end of the movie, she talks about how, you know, isn't it good that we both were bad? You know, we're both bad in this situation, mm. you know, not that, well, yeah. not that it's one side or the other. She was she's not saying it's just him, but that she had a part to play also. So right. I kind of feel like she's call She's she's kind of almost, you know, in this moment, settling herself down and saying, hey, look, let's. You can put some of the blame on me, you know, and that's where I took from it. But yeah, I was actually I was just thinking like, yeah, so I was kind of I'm just trying to get the story structure in my head. So, yeah, it, they he was talking to Obergon in the office and then the music started playing and he goes over to the the window and the shutter blinds and he looks down and it's it's Gilda going into the blame on me song. And of course, he confronts her afterwards. And and this is and then afterward is when Obergon, um, when he finally has to give up the uh, give up. The papers and, and the safe and whatnot, Obregon tells him, you know, all those things that you think she did, she didn't actually do. None of them. Basically, yeah. in Johnny Farrell's head, is he thought that she was basically sleeping with all these different guys that she was yeah. picking up and whatnot. And, and Obregon's like, yeah, that's that's not true. And in a way, it's, it, it's I mean, through a, through, through a, a modern lens, it's a little little problematic, but I guess at the time, it's something like, oh, 
you know, the woman is, oh, she's not the way you think she is. So therefore, oh, now I love her again. Or I love her. I cannot, it's I'm now little, free, little, I'm the, now the free feelings, to love even her. Though, the, even though the story, you know, tries to be very, through subtext and stuff, it's a very complicated uh, thing. In in this case, it kind of defaults to, you know, yeah. you, you easily falling back in love with somebody that easy, even though everything else is so complicated. Yeah, if, for example, we were talking, if this movie was made today, the way in which I would see this relationship ending is even though this woman, you know, was with all of, you know, all of these men or all of whatever, um, you still love her for her. You know what I mean? Sure. It's, this is, I mean, I don't, it, it's very similar to Chasing Amy, the Kevin uh -huh. Smith film, but in a way it's the opposite. I don't want to give away the ending of that movie, but it, it, it's it, the way in which a man is struggling dealing with the past relationships of the person he loves. You know what I mean? Yeah. And in a way, Johnny Farrell is dealing with that same problem where he he's upset over that. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and in the yeah. old school Hollywood way, they erase all of that by just saying, oh yeah, she didn't do any of it. She was just playing around, I guess. You know well, what I because mean? Because of the code, things had to wrap up, like you said. Yeah, you know, because, because of the of code, the you had and, to and, do and, that. And if they made it today, it probably would have been a lot more open-ended. I would assume you would probably get a little bit more of an ambiguous ending. Things ain't cleaned up. It's it's a little messy at the end, probably. That's the way I I think it would have been done today. Yeah, and what and I mean, we haven't even gotten to the end. The end, which we're going to talk about right now, is Here we go. Get, guess who comes back into the picture? Out of the shadows, Munson. <laughs> Munson and with that this... phallic with that phallic sword. Yeah, knife. he was, and he came back pissed off. Uh, he was upset. He comes back and he says, "I was gonna kill you with this," and he, you know, whips out his cane, <laughs> and and he's like, "No, you're not even good for this." Puts it aside. And he takes it, whips out a gun. I'm gonna kill Man, both if you. that isn't sexual, I don't <laughs> yeah. know what is. Yeah, I know. If, if a gun isn't a a symbolic metal penis, I don't know what is. <laughs> you're not even good enough for my dick. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna whip out my other one <laughs> oh, it's great it's great <laughs> it's great great movie making and he's like he has this whole speech prepared he's walking towards him and he's about to shoot him and here comes uncle pio from behind the oh, man. Be behind the bar apparently walks past you know goes by him grabs the uh the cane and stabs him in the back with it so and he kills him with a dick <laughs> he does That's technically what happened no <laughs> <laughs> according to some that was that is what happened yeah, he yeah. stabs him and of course he dies um he does get one shot off but it's not one of those one shots where he ends up hitting somebody, somebody and they die tragically yeah, yeah. you know in, in their lover's arms which they yeah, could have yeah. done too because yeah everyone knows it had to be, done it had to be a happy times. ending it had to be a happy ending yeah, yeah that's true and there also there had to be a bad guy yeah, the bad guy had to had to pay for his sins, and yeah. you know the the two people that have went through things. Even though in this movie it's very gray, these people have done some bad things. By the end of the movie, they come back together, which makes it all okay. Yes, and and then uh, Johnny says, "Uncle Pio, you got to get out of here. You know, you just committed murder, obviously." And then Obergon came in and sees the situation, and, and then Johnny's like, "Johnny's like, oh yeah, I did it." Whatever, and then Uncle Peel's like, "No, no, no, Johnny, it was me." Then you know, I'll who's gonna confess to it? And then Obergon's like, "A man can't die twice. Um, it may, I may be a sucker for love or something like that, but a man can't die t can't die twice as like as far as we and there's such a thing as justifiable homicide and and 
basically he sweeps it under the rug because he's already <laughs> he technically supposed to be dead anyway. And, and they've already got- and they've already gotten what they want from getting the higher ups. Yeah, what is interesting is right before he says that, he's like, you never told me where the safe was. You told me the combination, but you never told me where the... He, he told uh, him the combination, never told him where the safe was, and he tells them, and he got what he, what he wanted, which was, you know, the, the cartel information. The heads of the cartel, he, yeah, yeah. He doesn't care about this this stuff. As far as he's concerned, this is this is extra nonsense. Ah, he this is whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. We're in Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no laws, no laws. No and laws. Then, I mean, even the, though there's all this gambling and we still haven't stopped you until now, but it's yeah, you know, I know. The big, I know. the big fish, you know. Um, and that's how the movie ends. And then the, ti- the title, uh, the Columbia Pictures thing comes up, says the end, and music plays out, and fate to black. And that's yes. the end of the movie. That's Gilda, that's, guys. That's Gilda. Um, I- I'll um, say, you know, first viewing, like I said, I was I was somewhat confused about this movie, but. Now with the, the 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 knowing the context of things and, and, and the possible suggestive subtext, uh, I just I really liked. I, I can't wait to watch it again with that with that in mind. Um, and, yeah, uh, and this, it, it, and I would it, say it's some of the most complicated characters I've ever seen in a in a film. It, not only a film noir, but in general, I think these are very very complex characters, and probably a lot to do with the fact that because of the code. You know, so so there right. is a, a back and a, a good and a, and a bad to the production code of the time where they had to be more subtextual and and that, and I liked it. It's, it's it's great. It's great. Yeah, it's a great it's a great film. It's one of my favorite film noirs. Uh, Rita Hayworth is iconic. She is. We were talking before the show. She's both a femme fatale as well as a victim in this film. And in a way, Johnny Farrell is kind of a male fatale. You know what I mean? He well, kind actually, of... actually, maybe it's Munson that's the Munson fatal could be in this the male. Movie. I, I think Munson's I, maybe you the know, fatal Matt, in this Munson movie. maybe. I was thinking more of a fa- him being a male fatal just for the way he drove Rita Hayworth's character down. Sure, sure. But in a way, and and he also drove himself down with with her, bringing herself down with her. There's but, an but, amazing but, line but, in this movie. There's an amazing line in this movie where, basically, where Rita Hayworth says. If I have to destroy myself, I'm going to destroy you at the same time. And I was like, yeah. oh, "Damn!" But that's ultimately, a, that's a ultimately, fa- that's a femme fatale line. Toge- <laughs> yeah, these two coming together are because of Munson. You know, right. him, 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 always at every chance trying to clap, make them clash. You know, hey, you need to watch after her. You know, like you, you know, and we didn't talk about the scene about you know, which, which I guess I don't know means I don't know it means much to what I'm saying now but the swimming scene <laughs> right. I went and took her swimming and he's like you got to teach me to swim too yeah Johnny. and it's like whoa hey now whoa what are you talking about <laughs> swimming what are you talking swimming is code for something else because That's... in his because swimming like nobody goes swimming at like 4 a.m so come on what are we, what are we training yeah. for the Olympics come on <laughs> mm. in his mind they probably weren't swimming because um, this was at a moment of the movie which we didn't mention where basically Johnny Farrell said wherever you want to go or I'm going to take you and I'm going to bring you back here because that's the way I can control the situation. And yeah. if, and that was when she was out with that guy that he, that young guy that he knocked out who was kind of a douche. And because when, when cause when they arrived back to the, to the, to the house, Johnny Farrell was like, yeah, her husband does, doesn't like expect visitors or something like that. Um, and the guys goes, Oh yeah. Like, uh, you know, husbands are my, like, my special thing or whatever. Like he was yeah. kind of like playing it off as like he, he has 
you know, gone out with many married women. Like he's a Casanova, if yeah, you will. Yeah. And and then and then that's when this whole thing kind of erupted, where um, Johnny Farrell, you know, is he is he going to protect Mudson by not letting Mudson know that his wife goes out with you know, random you know men? What's interesting, another interesting <laughs> weird connection. I'm for some reason drawing from this love triangle here is Pulp Fiction, where Go you got. John Travolta's character looking after Uma, Uma Thurman's character, and you know it's the boss's wife, and it's you know, <laughs> you know he doesn't want to stir up any problem. Of course, it's not the same dynamic per se, but it's it's kind of you know they both go through a, a, a crazy ordeal where she overdoses, and and then you know they got to keep this private between each other. You know, and I not, think of um, what is it? I mean, this uh, this uh, not trope, but this plot point of you know the boss's wife thing. Brings me to out of the past, with yeah, Robert yeah. Mitchum, uh, Jane Greer, and um, Douglas, um, Kirk Douglas, Kirk Douglas, where you know Robert Mitchum has to go and find you know this you know the gangster Kirk Douglas's you know yeah. his gangster mall his girlfriend or whatever, and he and they end up falling in love with one another. You know, it's one of those kind of love triangle things. Um, very very interesting comparison. What is interesting is those movies came out really really close to each other, and they yeah. may have both been come out through Columbia. I'm not quite sure. Um, I'd have to do proper research on that. Yeah, one came, uh, Gilda came out in 1946. Out of the Past came out in 1947, um, which is you know right in that right in that classic film noir window. You know that mid 1940s, which is just very very interesting. No, um, out of the past was RKO, so that wasn't Columbia. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think um, I think this is a good place to end it here. Um, I, I would definitely recommend this film. I think I I it's I think going to become one of my favorites uh, film noirs as well uh, as I watch it. You know, again and again, and um, you know, it's it is a comp a little bit of a complicated one. You know, it's, it's maybe hard maybe on the first time to watch, but I think it's very much rewarding the more you look into it and um yeah any final words andrew yeah so uh, same here it's one of my favorites as well uh when you're watching these old movies i think subtext is always important to keep in mind context as well is always important yeah, yeah. to keep in mind um yeah watch do, this do a little movie. bit of research i mean i'm yeah, not saying you have research. to do homework but if you do a little bit of research into the movie you know especially after a first watch it can really open your eyes to the movie because I've had that problem a lot of times with some old, older films that I did not understand where the movie was coming from, and and so it just didn't connect with me. But then when I looked into it more, I could understand it, and it and it it opened my eyes. I mean, it's sometimes that's what you got to do if you're if you're a cinephile, you know that that's something you have to do sometimes, and. You know, maybe for the main, you know, a more mainstream film goer, that's not something you really want to do. You want to be able to watch a movie and get it on the first time, and you know, that's fine if that's what you want to do. But for us, I think we both enjoy just really dissecting movies and learning more about their history and and where they're coming from. You know, as I said, I think in an early episode, we got to look at films also, even though they're not always factual. It's our history. You know, it's a, it's about you know, it, it can show us a lot about. Uh, the human condition and how people see the world. So it's you know, it's it's it's, it's interesting. It's fascinating. Cool, but, cool. Um, yeah. Uh, 
I'm Stephen Billings. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, um, pot, you know, all, all the social medias except for Twitter. I hate Twitter. Uh, Andrew, can where can we follow you? You can find me on that uh, crazy, crazy cesspool hellhole known as Twitter at, oh, Kev- <laughs> at Kevzilla06, where I just spend most of my time retweeting things because <laughs> yeah. posting anything on Twitter can be taken in any different direction, so who knows where that goes. But you can also find my YouTube channel, Cabzilla Productions, where I do movie reviews as well as, you know, talk about Blu-rays and all that kind of good stuff, mostly movie-related stuff, pretty much entirely movie-related stuff, because after all, movies are, are our lives. They so, are our lives. I live and breathe movies. I live and, and breathe. Can, yes. And <laughs> and uh, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, um, YouTube and uh, please, please give us a rate, review us. I'd like to, we'd like to hear from you guys. If you have any suggestions for some upcoming episodes, we'll we'll listen and and uh, you know we're gonna get to, we're gonna cover as much as we can with this podcast. We you know we hope for this podcast to go on for a long time, and uh, you know we're we're up to talking about almost anything. So um, with that said, hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will. <laughs> <laughs>